0: What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get right to it. Huh? I, I, I told you I was going to take care of it later. When I, I don't know when. Jeez, later. Gosh. What do you want? Seriously, Can, can't you see I'm busy right now? Gosh! Ah, seriously. Oh hey, what's up, dude? What's going on, man? Oh, just chilling here. You know, I don't have much going on. Just hanging out. You know. Oh. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to help. But uh, yeah, I I got a thing going on. You know, I'm I'm just so busy right now, bro. I'm so slammed. Yeah, next time for sure, for sure. All right, bye. (laughs) What? Are you serious right now? Are, Are your legs broken? No, 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 you hold up. No, no, uh, 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 you hold up. You, you think I'm lazy? Give me a break. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus said in John ten ten 10, that he has come to bring life and life to the full. But if we're honest, many of us might feel that we live lives that are unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and we find ourselves trapped in dreary routines. This life that's supposedly supposed to be life and life to the full is rather mundane. It's rather boring. And we find ourselves stuck on the couch. And yeah, 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 we've heard it all before that God has empowered us with so much potential and abilities and gifts. But we find ourselves stuck on the couch, stagnant, motionless, plateauing in our lives and in our faith. Well, the other day, I was uh, stagnant and motionless. I was cozied up on the couch. I was watching TV. And apparently, after four years of TV-less married bliss, the staff and leaders of the church felt it necessary to give us a TV. And so I'm sitting there, stagnant, motionless, cozied up on the couch, and I'm watching Hulu. And then all of a sudden, the screen, it fades to black and there's some lady standing right there and and she says, Hi, I'm Diane from Daily Burn. And then spontaneously there appears behind her a synchronized workout crew doing knee kicks and leg kicks and deep lunges back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, this is definitely not what I was watching. Apparently, it's a commercial, and I have to sit here for a while while Diane from Daily Burn tries to sell this product to me. She says, Daily Burn, get fit, have fun, stream over 600 workouts you actually want to do. Start your free 30-day trial today. And I'm like, is it over yet? But then she said something that caught my attention she said something that just perplexed me. She said, just watch your first workout. Just watch your first workout. I thought, what, just watch your first workout? Because do you realize just how many calories you actually burn just by watching people work out? (laughs) Loads of calories. You gotta watch your heart rate though. Muscle fatigue, you, you, you gotta watch out for dehydration. Just watch your first workout. Just watch. I thought, thank you, Diane from Daily Burn, because you just adequately described a crisis that is crippling the church right now. Just watch. Just watch. Just watch while the pastor preaches. Just watch while the worship band worships. Just watch while the servants serve. Just watch. Well, that's the exact opposite of our Activate Sermon series. Last week, we began a brand new sermon series. Jeff kicked it off with how to activate the Holy Spirit in our lives. And today, we continue. We're trying to learn new and bold ways of activating our faith so that we can be the people that God has called us to. To be world changers. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read from our memory verse today. We do this to revere the word of God. Our memory verse is James chapter 2, verse 18. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith. By my works. So, what would it look like if we were actively willing to do what God has called us to do? What would it look like if we were actually willing? That's what today is all about. It's all about willingness. So, let's pray and ask for God's direction. Father, I thank you and I love you for who you are and what you've done in my life and in the lives of people around me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that's so powerful today, a way that just changes us, rewires us, and sets us on the right course to follow you in all that we do, because we love you, God. We love you deeply, but we know you love us so much more. And it's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. So introductions can sometimes be awkward, right? Hi, I'm Jeremy. It's so good to meet you. Inviting hand extended. Eye contact engaged. Friendly smile shining. But all the while, I might be thinking about, is my inviting hand extended clammy? Or am I blinking too much? Or is there food in my teeth? And as I'm worried about my clammy hand or my blinking eyes or the food in my teeth, you just told me your name. And I completely missed it. And so now I resort to calling you by some other generic name. Like, hey, man. Hey, dude, what's up, bro? Hey, big dog. You know, introductions can sometimes be... Awkward, especially Old Testament style. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words of Jeremiah, Hilkiah's son, who was one of the priests of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. Hi, my name is Jeremiah. Hilkiah is my pops. I am a priest. I'm from Anathoth. You've never heard of Anathoth? Yeah, everybody says that. A-N-A-thoth. Anathoth. Still doesn't ring any bells. Well, uh, Anathoth was the place where King Solomon once banished an evil priest. No, Anathoth. Oh, well, well, I'm a priest from Anathoth. It's in like an insignificant village, an insignificant Benjamite territory, whatever. The Lord's word came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of Judah's King Josiah, Ammon's son. And throughout the rule of Judah's King Jehoiakim, Josiah's son, until the fifth month of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, Josiah's son, when the people of Jerusalem were taken into exile. In short, God called me way back when, in the sixth century B.C., before, during, and after, Jerusalem was turned into rubble. The king's eyeballs were gouged out. And the people were slaughtered or carried off into exile by the Babylonians. Fun times. It's an awkward introduction. But at least the authors of these words were honest, honest about their introductions. Sometimes I find it difficult to explain to people when they ask me, hey, hey, Jeremy, what is it? that you do? What is your job? I have a hard time kind of explaining that sometimes because if I just simply say to you, yeah, I'm a pastor, that might conjure up some image in your mind as to what I might be. And so what I like to do is have a little fun with it, be a little creative with telling people that I am a pastor. I was at an airport uh, one time. I was at London Heathrow International Airport, and I, I'm sitting there, and there's a woman beside me in the terminal. And I said hello. She said, "Well, hello." And I asked her, uh, "Where where are you going?" She said, "I'm going to Singapore." Where are you going? I said, "Well, I'm I'm going back home to California." I asked her, what what is it that you do? Why are you going to Singapore? And she told me, and then she asked me, what is it that you do? And I said, well, I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, "Yes, we have." I mean, we do We do marriage work, we do orphanages, we've got hospitals and hospices, we've got homeless shelters, we have feeding programs, educational programs. We are in the realm of, of, of justice and reconciliation. And I told her that we basically care for people from birth to death, and we expert we are experts in the realm of uh, behavior alteration and she said wow and her wow was so loud that loads of people turned around to see what was the matter and she said to me what's it called and I said it's called the church it's called the church Now, if that wasn't just uh, from a YouTube video and was actually from my mouth to a woman at an airport in London, that would be remarkable, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be remarkable? But what prevents us from being honest about our identity as followers of Jesus? A lot of times it's just, yeah, I'm I'm a pastor. Oh, cool. Weirdo, right? Don't talk to me about faith or whatever. But like, what what would it look like? I mean, there's nothing dishonest about what I usually say. Like, yeah, I'm a pastor or yeah, I'm a Christian. There's nothing dishonest about that. But isn't it more honest to say something like, yeah, I'm a pastor because God changed my life. Or yeah, I'm a Christian because I was living in darkness and now I'm living in the glorious light. And I have truth and hope and peace in my life. Wouldn't that be a little bit more honest to say? If you don't know what to say, just say the words of amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I mean, if the authors of the Bible are willing to be honest with their introductions, what's stopping me? What's stopping me? Well, Jeremiah begins to talk here after his not-so-shiny, awkward introduction. Verse 4 says, The Lord's word came to me. In other words, and God said, before I created you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Do you hear the intimacy there? Now, I don't mean like the Barry White, Marvin Gaye, that type of intimacy. Get your mind out of the gutter, guys. Come on. I'm talking about the closeness and nearness, the connection that God is willing to extend to Jeremiah here. Before I created you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I made you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, I had plans and hopes and dreams for you. Before you were even a blip on the radar, before you were even a twinkle in your mother's eye, I created you. I knew you. I set you apart. And And not just for Jeremiah, but for us too. But God specifically says to Jeremiah, I made you a prophet to the nations. Now that's no easy task. To go and and be a prophet, to speak the word of God to real human people going through real human trials and hardship and pain. That's no easy task. And you're not just going to go do that, be a prophet to like your own community or localized interest groups or anything like that, but to the nations, to the nations. So how does Jeremiah respond to this call? Verse 6a, ah, Lord God. You could also translate that, dang, Lord God. Or if you're fancy, alas, Lord God. It's less of a word, and it's more of a sound, a moan or a groan, a whimper even. In Hebrew, it sounds like a laugh. Actually, the word is aha, like a nervous, uncomfortable laugh that you would give if God called you to be a prophet to the nations. Makes a lot of sense. Ah, Lord God, uh, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a na'ar, a child. What's a Na'ar? Well, Moses was just a Na'ar when he was placed in a basket in the reeds of the Nile. He was just an infant. Or Samuel was just a Na'ar when he was ministering to the Lord at Shiloh. He was just a a young boy. Or Ishmael. Ishmael, he was just a Na'ar when he and his mother Hagar were sent away from Abraham and Sarah. He was... Just a teenager. Or how about Absalom? Absalom was just an the R when his hair got stuck in a tree and he was stabbed to death. A young man. So how old is Jeremiah when he's called by God to be a prophet to the nations? He was young. He was young. He was young and inexperienced, unqualified, ill-equipped, unproven. And he probably knew it too. Probably knew it too. But, is he willing? You're just too green. You're just too green. That's what my former pastor, my former boss, said to me. We were there and uh, his... Corner office, a room with a view, sitting on a plush leather couch. You know, the kind that when you're hot and sweaty, your skin just sticks to. And I was hot and sweaty. I was just a 22-year-old in the R. I was a junior high, high school and college career pastor. And I was being laid off. I was being let go. And uh, he said, you're just too green. Ill-equipped, unproven, inadequate. The list went on and on and on and on. And seven and a half years later, I thank God for that interaction. I mean, those words, they hurt, right? But I thank God for that and for that journey. Ad placement right there, the journey. I thank God for the journey that he's had me on. But I wish that I knew then what I know now. Because I would have said, okay, yeah, I'm just too green, I'm ill-equipped, I'm unproven, I am inadequate, all of these things, so what's the problem? (laughs) Like, what's the problem, right? I'm willing, and I feel like God has called me. Well, Jeremiah was definitely called by God. But it wasn't because of his personal charisma, his personality, accolades, achievements, degrees, or anything like that. But because God's power and God's design. In response to Jeremiah's, Ah, Lord God, I said, I don't know how to speak because I'm only a Nahar, I'm only a child. Verse 7 says, The Lord responded, Don't say I'm only a child. Where I send you, you must go. And what I tell you, you must say. Don't be afraid of them. You mean the nations? The superpowers of the world, God? Yeah. Yeah, don't be afraid of them, Jeremiah, because I'm with you to rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand, which signifies his power and his strength. And he touched my mouth and said to me, I'm putting my words in your mouth. This very day I appoint you over nations and empires to dig up and pull down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Now this is not the good news only channel. He's not sent out to preach prosperity and how to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's got some tough words to share and some tough love to give. And it takes a lot of nerve to be willing to do something like that. You know, I just love all the questions that God has asked Jeremiah thus far. Like, hey, Jeremiah, yeah, I've called you to be the prophet of the nations. Are you okay with this? Like, you feel comfortable about this? Do you feel equipped to do this? Like, you feel good about this whole endeavor I'm calling you on, right, Jeremiah? No, God hasn't said anything. He hasn't given him any question. Why? Because those questions are irrelevant. And it's not because God doesn't care what we think or what we feel. But it's that if God has called you, what can stop you? If God has called you, what can stop you? It's only your own willingness that can stop you or slow you down. I believe that what God spoke to Jeremiah, he's speaking to us now. I called you and I will be with you. That God has called us each specifically to specific callings. But God has called us all collectively to a collective calling. To love God and to love people. And it's only our own willingness that can keep us and stop us from doing this. You can, you can like clap it up a little bit. That's all right. You can interrupt me. I'll stop talking. But if God has called you, what can stop you? Jeremiah finally gets asked a question from God, but it has nothing to do with, like, his call and all this sort of stuff. Uh, the Lord asked me in verse 11, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, a branch of an almond tree. So apparently he's standing by an almond tree, or this is some sort of a vision. The Lord said, you are right, for I am watching over my word until it is fulfilled. Huh? What's going on here? Let's talk about watching Almond trees. Watching almond trees. There's actually a play on words that's going on in the Hebrew text. So Jeremiah, in his vision, he sees an almond tree, which in Hebrew is shaked, and is reassured that God is shoked. He's watching over the prophetic word to make sure it comes to fruition, to make sure that it blooms. Now, this assures Jeremiah that God's purposes will be accomplished through his ministry, that God will see to it. And the almond tree might also symbolize the soon coming spring because the almond tree blossoms in the early months of the year, January or February. And so what this is saying is that God is going to see to it that this prophetic message goes out to the nations. God is on the move. But then the Lord gave him another vision. In verse 13, the Lord asked me, what do you see? I said a pot boiling over from the north, like a tea kettle or like a, a boiling pot of pasta. And the Lord said to me, trouble will erupt from the north against the people of this land. So in the second vision, he sees this pot boiling over. It's, it's basically that danger is lurking on the horizon. Soon coming military assault. Verse 15 says, I'm calling for all the tribes of the great nations from the north, says the Lord, and they will set up the rulers by the entrances of Jerusalem, on its walls, and in every city of Judah. I will declare my judgment against them for doing evil, that is, against Judah, his own people, for abandoning me, worshiping other gods, and trusting in the works of their hands. But you must prepare for battle and be ready to utter every word I command you. Don't be frightened before them or I will frighten you before them. Today I have made you an armed city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall. And I believe that's what God is making and creating in us today. To be an armed city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the entire land. The kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and all its people. They will attack you, but they won't defeat you. Because I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. As the life and ministry of Jeremiah unfolds, he faces tremendous evil and hardship and pain. Tremendous evil, hardship, and pain. He gets persecuted and beaten, laughed at and mocked, threatened with death and nearly murdered on multiple occasions thrown into a pit to die, imprisoned on multiple occasions, and exiled to Egypt. But Jeremiah continues to be faithful. He continues to seek out God. And it's his faithfulness and willingness that truly defines him. Jeremiah has a lot to measure up to. A lot to measure up to. But you know what? God has not called us to measure up to one another. He hasn't called us to measure ourselves up against one another. He's called us to be faithful and willing. What does this mean? Faithfulness requires willingness. I think these things are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. Faithfulness requires willingness in order for it to be active and authentic. And willingness requires faithfulness in order for it to be pure and and righteous. I'll say that again so you can take a picture of it or write it down because this is like mind blowing stuff. That faithfulness actually requires willingness in order for it, in, will, in order for faithfulness to be active and authentic. And willingness requires faithfulness in order for our willingness to be pure and righteous. The question is God, God has huge plans, big plans for us, but are you ready? Are you ready? No, of course you're not. I'm not. None of us are ready. But are we willing? Are we willing? The crazy concept to consider as we consider our own willingness is to consider God's willingness to use us Why me, God? Like, really? You don't have a better plan someone else you could use to accomplish this particular task or ministry? Why me, God? Are you sure? Well, if God has chosen, or if God is willing to use me, no, no, scratch, scratch that. If God is willing to call me, no, 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 scratch that, since God is calling me, what is preventing me? What is preventing me from being willing? On the night that uh, Jesus was betrayed, they... uh, They were at the Garden of Gethsemane. He and the disciples on the Mount of Olives. and They walked to a certain place and he parked the disciples in one location. And then he took Peter, James, and John a little bit further. And he said to them, sit here while I go to pray. And Jesus was visibly troubled. He was heavily burdened. He went about a stone's throw away. He fell to his knees. And he prayed, Abba, Father, would you take this cup of suffering from me? But then he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. He had told the disciples, sit here while I go to pray. Make sure you stay awake. Keep alert. He returned and he found them fast asleep. He woke them up and said, Peter, wake up. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. Couldn't you stay awake for just one hour? But Then he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think about that. I think about that. If if the Holy Spirit inside of me is willing, but my flesh is weak, how can my weak flesh become willing? I think it's very simple after all. It's very simple. Yes, God. God. Yes, God. Yes, God, totally. Yes, God, holy. Yes, God, in every respect. Yes, God, completely. Yes, God, entirely. Yes, God, fully. Yes, God, altogether. Yes, God, absolutely. Yes, God, throughout my entire life. Yes, God, exclusively. Yes, God, unconditionally, Yes, God, undividedly. Yes, God, in my hopes. Yes, God, in my plans. Yes, God, in my dreams. Yes, God, with my footsteps. Yes, God, with my prayers. Yes, God, with the beat of my heart. Yes, God, with every word that I say. Yes, God. We got to get the band out here or I'm just going to keep going. Yes, God. Yes, God, bring the band out. Yes, God, please, because we want to worship you and celebrate you, God, because you are the one who is worthy. So why am I going to hold myself back from being willing? Let's get the band out here because we're willing to worship. We're willing to lay down our lives before the king because he has laid his life down before us. I'm just going to keep on Let the Holy Spirit roll right here. Yes, God. You know, so many times we just find ourselves unwilling to do things. There's this obstacle that stops us. We're like, why can't I get past this? Why can't I get through this? Well, a lot of times it has to do with me. It has to do with me and not saying, yes, God. saying, maybe, maybe, God. Perhaps, God. Or it's just straight up, no, God. I will not go there. I will not talk to that person. I will not deal with that unforgiveness. I will not reconcile. It's time to clear all that out of the way and say, yes, God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the willingness of the worship band to come out so we can honor you and praise you like you deserve, God. Because we are so unworthy. But I thank you, Lord, that you have made us worthy. So, Lord, empower us to be willing, willing to accept you completely, without conditions, entirely, God. We want to accept what you did on the cross. And I pray if someone in here today wants to experience that for the very first time, that they would pray, Jesus, come into my life. I'm willing to fully and completely accept you. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again for me. You defeated death, you defeated sin, you defeated my unwillingness. So come into my life, Lord. Help me to figure out what it means to be willing, to take those steps of faith To serve in different capacities that maybe I've never served before. To love my family, my friends, the people around me in ways that are just different and bold and new. God, you're calling us into new places. So help us to be willing. Help us to break down the walls that separate us from each other and from you. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. The honest cries of our hearts, for you are good, and we praise your holy.